Welcome, beloved listener, to Medicine and Psychedelics, a podcast where we discuss science, spirituality, and psychedelic medicine as healing modalities. In this space, we'll hear from experts in the field, share personal stories, and put words to the profundity of this work. I'm Dr. Lita Fatemi, and I'm buzzing with gratitude to open this container. Welcome. This week, we have a very special guest and a dear friend who I've had the pleasure of getting to know in the past couple of years and who has helped me in my studies of psychedelic medicines um, is Dr. Rick Strassman, who was the first clinical researcher in the world to study DMT in humans. And he did this work at University of New Mexico, which is where I'm at, which is super duper cool. And just talking about his experience of research and, um, you know, being in this realm of psychedelic medicines and research and the anthropology behind it and the culture and the role of religion and just the journey that we see through his eyes, having been a part of the history and having created this history is absolutely fascinating. And I'm so grateful to know him and to learn from him. Every time I talk to him, um, there's something new that I learn about this realm. So welcome. And I hope you also uh, take something home that you didn't know before. I can certainly say that I gathered a wealth of information from these beautiful words. Um, I'm excited for you to hear them, listener. But before that, I'd like to give a heads up that we jumped straight into the interview with Dr. Strassman. Um, so your ears are about to hear the beginnings, the launch pad of this conversation where we inquire about what first steps should look like um, to the human who is curious about the psychedelic realm is walking a path of psychedelic pursuit and is curious. So without further ado, here you go. Let's jump right in. With this episode, I just want to start with like the basics, you know, um, how can someone who's totally new to this realm, um, just start? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is to educate yourself and then to clarify your intent well, mm-hmm. I, I suppose the first thing is to figure out why you want to take a psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why do you want a trip? And then uh, get ready. And getting ready means e- educating yourself, mm-hmm. uh, preparing. Yeah, it's all about, you know, th- uh, the set and the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the set is who you are. And, you know, the setting is the environment, right. um, including the people around you. Um, and one of the key elements of you know, the set is intention, mm-hmm. uh, figuring out um, what you want to get out of your experience. Um, and it also involves what you, you know, would like to avoid or what you would like to not happen. Uh, so um, uh, it's like, you know, going on, on any major slightly perilous or, you know, more or less, you know, perilous trip. Um, you need to, you know, uh, you have a roadmap. Uh, you need to get ready. Uh, you need to know what to do if you get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to know what to do or think about what's going to happen afterwards. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I think the analogy of a trip is pretty apt. <laughs> Definitely. And um, some of the things that, you know, not only in research I've come across, but also personal experience has shown me is really being in tune with yourself before going on a trip, you know, being in tune with your own um, spirituality, um, connecting with your own, um, you know, with, with activities that rejuvenate your soul. Because oftentimes, especially in the medical field, we're so much, um, there's so much forcefulness in the field that we work in, you know, with the systems that we work under and we forget who we are, you know, and, um, and some of us, because of the past traumas that we've had, I like this, um, definition that Gabor Mate gives trauma is a fracture with your inner self, you know, and you haven't really dealt with it. And so you forget who you are. Um, and so coming back to the self, coming back to that path of self-discovery is what I find to be the best way to prepare um, for a trip. I don't know what your experience is, you know, or if you have any suggestions for particular practices for people. Well, in the biggest chapter in my new book, the Psychedelic Handbook, um, it's called How to Trip. Um, And... uh, I've got a you know, section in there on long-term uh, you know, preparation, uh, you know, short-term preparation, you know, the day of the experience preparation. You know, so the long-term you know, preparation, um, well, you know, it, it, it depends again on, you know, why you want a trip. Um, because, you know, why you want a trip would determine the drug and the dose and you know the environment, you know the setting, indoors, outdoors, by yourself with friends, in a research environment at a museum, taking a hike, you know, going to a meditation retreat. Um, you know, if you were doing it for purposes of self-discovery to improve yourself, make yourself a better person and the world a better place, uh, you would, you know, the long-term preparation would be to be doing those things in the first place. Uh, either be in therapy or have a spiritual practice or both. Um, you know, you would want to discuss with people that are important to you, either you know, teachers or mentors or, um, you know, spiritual guides, you know, therapists, uh, your intention, you know, your interest, and uh, kind of discuss with them the ins and outs of you know, how a psychedelic drug trip might interface with what you're already doing, uh, either be helpful or detrimental, you know, to either psychotherapy or spiritual practice or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to, um, you know, make yourself and the world a better place. Um, you know, so it, well, uh, you know, somebody asked a while back, uh, you know, how do you have a more spiritual psychedelic experience? And my answer was kind of glib, but in retrospect, I think it was accurate, is that you live a more spiritual life. Absolutely. And uh, if your you know, psyche, as it were, is um, you know, full of spiritual questions and texts and study and conversations, you know, then you know, the drug will be working on that 
which is already in your mind, you know, more or less mm-hmm. conscious, perhaps you're not quite as clear as you'd like it to be or as convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the medium term or you know, shorter term preparation is uh, your health, uh, mental health, you know, physical health, your diet, your sleep, uh, concomitant mind-altering substance use, alcohol, mm-hmm. coffee, marijuana, mm-hmm. cocaine, things like that. Um, yeah, and you know, getting your house in order, you know, both you know, literally and uh, you know, proverbially, um, make certain you know that there aren't a lot uh, a lot of major loose ends in your life mm-hmm. uh, that would come up and bother you if you were in the midst of a you know major you know psychic you know cataclysm. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, you know, preparation, education. Uh, you know, let people in your sphere know what you're about to do, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, make you know, certain you've got some you know, safety valves as well. Um, as well, uh, you could even write down some instructions that you would be able to look at if you're confused at the time. Uh, you know, which is, you know, stay in the house, don't drive, uh, only take as much as you were planning to. Um, you know, those, you know, kinds of, you know, practical, you know, uh, you know, bits of advice. Right, right, right. And for the listeners, you know, make sure you, if you have questions, please reach out to us. Um, I'm happy to answer questions or find the answers for you if um, I don't know them uh, offhand. Um, yeah, you know, Rick, you bring up um, the uh, role of community, um, you know, those that support you in your journey of life. I think that's, a huge thing generally in being human, you know, and being happy humans is those connections that we have with people that we trust most. Um, and we get love, you know, from them. Um, can you elaborate on that? Uh, do you see any difference in, uh, individuals that have that, you know, in your, in your many years of practice in psychiatry, um, versus those who really don't have those strong connections. Um, one of the screening uh, you know, criteria that we used in you know, doing the psychedelic research at UNM was to make certain that you know, people had a strong support system, um, either friends, you know, family, um, work, uh, church, uh, those you know kinds of connections uh, because um, it you know number one you know was an indication of their you know psychological maturity um, and uh, it was also um, a you know a potential source of support if you know they had you know problems after their participation um, in our study um, you know th- you know they could reach out for help advice comfort. You know, so we didn't include, uh, you know, loners, you know, so to speak, you know, people mm-hmm. that were just com- completely out on their own, you know, because it, you know, it, uh, you know, more often than not, you know, was an indication of some kind of, uh, uh, you know, psychological, you know, shortcomings and they wouldn't, you know, be able to, uh, you know, reach or, well, well, to reach out, you know, to a you know, supportive group uh, if, you know, there were, if, you know, there were, on any after on effects from their participation you know we were available by phone mm-hmm. all the time but but still um if we weren't or 
few weeks down the road or a few years down the road. You know, they could also, you know, discuss uh, their experiences with that group in order to um, expand and enlarge, uh, you know, let's say, you know, fragmentary insights that they may um, have attained, uh, you know, during their drug experience. You know, they could, you know, compare and contrast, you know, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about the fragmentary experiences? Fragmentary insights. Insights, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well, my use of the term in that context was a you know reflection of like uh, you know glimmers of insights, right. uh, like you know bits and pieces, mm -hmm. um, as opposed you know to anything you know, pathological. You know more like incomplete. Mm -hmm. um, you know that you know somebody you know might um, experience some ins or you know somebody might attain to some insights about their spiritual life um you know but it was only in uh, bits and pieces as it were it was kind of like oh the golden rule is important but what's the golden rule um and mm -hmm. so if you have a community that you could discuss what is the golden rule uh you know what are the various corollaries um you can solidify and expand uh the flashes that you may have you know reached uh Mm -hmm. uh, you know, during the acute uh, you know, drug session. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What percentage of the time would you say that you had a, a person um, go through a challenging experience through their Ugh, trip? I hate that term, <laughs> challenging experience. Oh, please, please redefine. <laughs> I'm just using it because I've heard it <laughs> and I've had it. So, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real term and there's a real questionnaire, uh, the challenging experience questionnaire. Yes. Yeah, I think it gives you know, short shrift to the real possibility of bad adverse reactions to psychedelics. Oh, you think uh, that's what it is? Okay. okay. Yeah, well, it includes everything. It includes like, you know, chronic unremitting psychosis, and it also can include, uh, you know, temporary anxiety at the beginning of your experience, which, you know, passes after a minute or two. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, I think, you know, challenging experiences is kind of new age. Uh, mm -hmm. And it works to remove the psychedelic research world from the rest of biomedical psychological research. It invents a new precious term, um, <laughs> which which I think is unwise because uh, you know if I mean, at least within the medical community, you want to mainstream uh, these drugs, their effects, and their use. You don't want to make them precious uh, and special and unique. Um, you know, so challenging experience, like, is a skin rash to penicillin challenging? Is a fatal arrhythmia challenging? Uh, it's an adverse effect, either, sure. you know, mild, medium, or severe, acute, short-term, long-term. Uh, you know, so I don't think there's any need to invent new terms when it comes to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, psychedelic research. Mm -hmm. um, what you know, people do out of the medical field, what they call this or that, they can call you know, psychedelics and theogens. That's up to them. You know, but right. I think within the medical community, you know, we owe it to ourselves and the field and you know, truth, as it were, you know, uh, to you know, keep things within accepted para uh, you know, parameters, so to speak. Um, you know, so yeah, that's my you know, soapbox about uh, sure. uh, challenging experiences. Um, well, 
in our group, uh, around you know, 53 people, um, I counted them up a few days ago. I used to say you know, close to 60, and it didn't seem like it was you know 60. And you know, then I said you know close to five dozen, but it wasn't that either. You know, so I I went um, you know through my list and I counted everybody, <laughs> and I think it's 53 people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you know, five people I think. Um, had problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, two people got depressed. Uh, it, it was a recurrence of old depression, and mm-hmm. they both responded, you know, quickly, you know, to intervention. One person got back on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other person uh, responded to you know some support uh, over the space of a week or two. Uh, one I, I, a person got extremely hypertensive, like two twenty over you know one forty, mm-hmm. uh, and a stiff neck. Oh. Um, you know, one guy, uh, you know, went into shock or, you know, close to shock. We had to do, uh, you know, reverse Trendelenburg on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, one person developed panic attacks, um, mm-hmm. in response to the, uh, you know, super high dose, you know, that we never used again, actually. Right. DMT, yeah. Of DMT. Yeah. Um, you know, so he responded to support as well. You know, one guy or, um, one woman, Amon psilocybin, became acutely paranoid. I mean, ran out of the hospital. Um, I and, remember you told uh, me that story before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of scary. You know, she was married and you know, family and all that. And we stayed in close contact, but still, you know, she had, you know, uh, you know, zero insight into the episode. Um, it was kind of encapsulated over the space of a few mm. weeks. Everything else returned to normal, except for, you know, their understanding of what happened. Um, wow. You know, that st- stayed, you know, kind of walled off and kind of crazy. Um, you know, so I'd say, you know, 10% of our sure. volunteers, you know, maybe even more. And, you know, that's a group of normal volunteers, you know, not patients, uh, mm-hmm. it, these weren't, you know, psychotherapy studies, mm-hmm. um, mm. you know, plus, uh, you know, they were all experienced, you know, psychedelic users, right. you know, so if, you know, 10% of that kind of, uh, you know, demographic has adverse effects, which were significant, I would call mm-hmm. them severe adverse effects, mm-hmm. um, I think it's going to be even more frequent, um, mm-hmm. You know, both in, you know, the medical setting where depressives and alcoholics and end-of-life kinds of things uh, mm-hmm. are being treated, um, and especially, you know, more in the field where, you know, if you have a high school diploma, you could become a, a you know, certified, you know, psilocybin facilitator in Oregon at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, this is why it's so important to educate and talk about it, because uh, otherwise, how, how are people going to know? Um, so would you say that with having a very strong, um, like psychotherapy practice prior and after you do see decrease in the percentage of adverse events? Um, well, I don't think it's any guarantee, Mm um, like, um, yeah, um, you know, I don't think that's been studied, you know, per se. Um, you know, the research itself um, involves a number of hours of right. uh, preparatory psychotherapy. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 10 to 12 hours. And, you know, then the actual study day and, you know, then a number of hours of, uh, you know, post-study integration, uh, you know, psychotherapy, uh, you know, consistent um, you know, with the model. You know, back in the day um, when these, uh, you know, drugs were used a lot more you know, frequently in the field and especially with an ongoing psychotherapeutic um, you know, situations, you know, there was a, a, you know, term which was called psycholytic therapy, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s, small doses of LSD uh, usually in the context of ongoing psychotherapy, usually um, either psychoanalysis or you know, psychoanalytically oriented uh, you know, psychotherapy. Um, you know, so these were, you know, long term, long-standing, you know, therapeutic relationships. Uh, and, you know, the LSD was just, you know, kind of added to the mix. Uh, and, uh, you know, th you know, the adverse effect literature, you know, from back then was quite reassuring within the, uh, you know, the research and the medical environments. Uh, uh, yeah, some people have... Um, you know, questioned, you know, the rosy nature of, you know, those early, you know, survey studies of adverse effects, you know, saying that, you know, people were afraid to discuss the frequency, you know, the prevalence, the severity of adverse reactions, you know, but at least, you know, the published literature back then, especially, you know, Sidney Cohen's, you know, 1960, you know, paper, you know, um, you know, this was before LSD escaped the laboratory. Um, you know, he surveyed a lot of you know therapists and you know, people uh, you know doing research, um, and you know the incidence of adverse effects was extremely low. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that you know lasted more than uh, you know twenty four hours, uh, you know, suicidal. Uh, you know, suicidal ideations, you know, suicide attempts, you know, psychosis, those kinds of things um, were minuscule, you know, like 0.1% prevalence. You know, but, you know, those kinds of, you know, surveys aren't occurring now. And I think even if they did, there will be a, you know, tendency to under-report. Yeah. If you ask, you know, people that are, you know, doing the research, you know, they'll tell you, oh, by the way, you know, this happened, you know, but we didn't report it or it, you know, wasn't in our paper. Um, you know, so I think we have to be, uh, you know, we have to be alert, you know, to uh, under-reporting of adverse effects. Yeah. Um, you know, and even if the frequency of adverse effects is accurately reported, they're still kind of, you know, played down. Um you know, for example, there was a study came out of the Netherlands last year or the year before. It was a naturalistic study. Uh, it was a retreat of people using the toad, you know, 5-methoxy-DMT, mm -hmm. either smoked or intramuscular injection. Um, and 70% of those who smoked the 5-methoxy had flashbacks after their experiences. And, you know, the authors say, oh, they enjoyed them. They were free trips. They expected them, no problem. But still, I mean, seventy percent of the people who were like experienced, 
Uh, you know, trippers have flashbacks. I mean, what's going to happen right. when you've got, you know, depressives or alcoholics right. or, right. you know, cocaine addicts. Uh, right, or meth addicts. That's what we have huge here in, mm-hmm. in our population. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so I think adverse effects are going to come back to bite us in the butt and unless we're uh, a lot more upfront and transparent about them, what they mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, how to prevent them, mm-hmm. you know, how to treat them if they occur. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is not to scare anybody. This is just to be frank about all of it. I think, you know, seeing the positive, you also have to see the negative. That's just reality, you know. And um, and I, I do understand that the new culture is talking about, hey, even if is there positive or negative, you know, that it just is a path. And if you've cho- chosen to be on this path, be prepared uh, because, it could go either way. And um, how are you going to deal with the things that do come up is very, very important um, afterwards with integration. And that's some of the, you know, worst things that I've seen from people who have come back from, you know, South American countries, you know, using ayahuasca or uh, 5-MeO or, you know, um, is, is really the integration part that they were missing, you know, Oh, it was like this incredible experience and it was crazy challenging, but I lost my mind and I don't know how to really connect back to life. Uh Um, That is, I think, one of the most um, important and and not talked about parts of this is integration and how do I do it? Uh Yeah. Um, so there's a you know, burgeoning uh, you know, field of integration specialists, which is uh, you know, developing uh, in, uh, integration therapists. Mm. Um, but uh, they're kind of left you know, holding the pieces uh, of these people that either come back from Latin America or have you know, tripped at a rave or a concert or by themselves or in the city. You know, so it's the first it's you know their first contact like you, um you advertise as an integration therapist and you get a call from you know, somebody who has not slept or eaten for a week after their big LSD trip and they're hearing voices and they think it's a challenging experience but boy that's a lot more than challenging and they feel like they've you know failed and they haven't had a mystical experience and you know now what and these poor integration therapists are saying, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, now what? You should have talked to me a month ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting. So who is doing the integration work right now? I know that MAPS has the Zendo project that um, they had actively going um, at Burning Man. Right. Or individuals who were going to Burning Man and had you know, these adverse events and, you know, they would have support afterwards, but yeah. How, how do you do this? That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And I don't think a lot of these people are all that well qualified. Um, you, you know, usually they've got some, you know, counseling training, you know, psychotherapy training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, the ones that I've met and talked with are you know, mostly at you know, the master's level. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one you know, PhD in psychology. Um, you may be a psychiatrist who's got a group in New York, but um, yeah, you know the majority of these integration therapies uh, working at the you know, front lines are usually master's level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the Zendo uh, you know, project is you know more of a uh, you know like a chill space. You know like if it, if 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 
you're at Burning Man and you're losing it on a drug, uh, you go to the Zendo and you're talked down or or otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. you know, treated, uh, you know, t- uh, you know, to help you, you know, with the acute, uh, uh, you know, problems, you know, which can arise. Mm-hmm. You know, the integration is after you're down and you're still, you know, kind of unsettled right. in. Right. Uh, you know, mild to severe right. manner. Right, right, right. With the, with you know the reality being a little slippery is, uh, yeah, yeah. That's when you really need integration. I feel like. Yeah, and you, um, I think when you're educating yourself, you know, beforehand, you will, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, learn, you know, that you can feel slippery or you, you're. Mm-hmm. Um, your hold on reality uh, gets more you know, slippery after you come down, you know, so to recognize it right, and uh, to uh, you know, get some help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's say that individual that you were just uh, using as an example, right, you know, trips on LSD, really high dose, comes back a week later, it's still, you know, not sleeping. How do you as a psychiatrist, I don't know if you've had, I'm sure, probably have had um, patients that have come to you with this. How, what do you do? Well, you just, you know, treat them as if what they were going through was not caused, you know, by a psychedelic. Mm. Uh, you treat symptomatically. I mean, obviously you say no more LSD for you. <laughs> uh, you know, but in the meantime, you uh, would, you know, treat them symptomatically. If, you know, they looked schizophrenic, you would treat them like a schizophrenic. If, you know, mm-hmm. they looked manic, you would, you, uh, you would treat them like a manic. If, you know, they were depressed, right. you would treat them like, uh, you know, somebody you know, with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, therapy, you know, medication, you know, hospitalization, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, you know, gamut of mm-hmm. available modalities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's also really important to know that, um, this work is integrative, you know, where we have the traditional psychiatry work, you know, and also this new age, you know, as we're using the psychedelics as medicines um, in a more scientific way. Um, it's important to know that bringing all of it together is can be very helpful for a lot of individuals who are going through a really hard time and suffering. Um and Rick, you told me before how you absolutely loved the 20 plus years of psychiatry that you practiced without any uh, psychedelic medicines, um, which is really interesting to me because, you know, you were the first researcher in the United States, maybe in the world that um, used federal funding uh, on human subjects, you know, at, at UNM, which is fascinating. Um how long did your studies last? And then when do, when was it that you were like, okay, I'm I'm done with this realm because it is a huge responsibility, um, and moved back to your or forward to the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. Well, I started you know thinking about this kind of work when I was 18. Like the first time I smoked you know cannabis, it was this like full blown psychedelic experience. Um, you know, plus I was interested in chemistry at the time. I was a chemistry major in college for the first right. maybe six months. Yeah, and I thought, uh, yeah, chemistry, drugs, brain, altered consciousness, and um, yeah. So back then, even the uh, you know seeds you know for my research were planted. You know, but it you know took a long time. I was eighteen when I 
you know, had that experience, I flashed on, you know, the actuality of, you know, doing, you know, psychiatric research when I was 20 and then gave my first dose of DMT when I was, you know, 38. Mm. Um, you know, so a lot of time and training, uh, you know, intervened. Uh, yeah, we gave our first dose of DMT in November 90, mm-hmm. and I wrapped up in September of 95. I started a, a psilocybin study as well, mm-hmm. uh, but it was you know, mostly DMT. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, you know, five years. Yeah, it was completely un. It was completely un. I'm under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, UNM small university, Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, most people thought it was either part of Texas or part of Arizona. Uh, <laughs> or Mexico. <laughs> or, or, or Mexico, yeah. yeah. You know, one of our 50 is missing. Um, <laughs> you know, I spoke to one reporter from Omni as the study was just about to get underway, and I didn't like being interviewed you know, by a science news reporter. So I stopped giving interviews. Um, and when, you know, people wanted to ask me about their research, I said, you know, once we've published, um, I can send you, you know, those papers. I just wanted to, yeah. you know, stay off the radar. Um, mm-hmm. It was controversial. It was the mm-hmm. first new clinical research in this country in a generation. It was the only DMT study in the world. Mm-hmm. Um you know, DMT was an obscure you know, compound, but completely weird. And uh, I figured if you know, people started to like sniff around and you know, hear that you know, we were giving an injection of a drug that caused you know, people to contact aliens, that just would not fly. Um, you know, when I switched you know, research uh, you know, careers uh, you know, from, the, you know, from the melatonin world to the yeah. DMT world, I you know, uh, I you know, spoke to the IRB. I spoke with you know Dr. Winslow, mm-hmm. um, who was the you know, psychiatry uh, uh, you know, chairman at the time, and you know the people on you know the clinical research unit where those studies took place. And you know, the consensus was, um, you know, if you know what you're doing, uh, go ahead. You know, get grants, write papers, and stay out of the newspaper. Uh, so I, I took all of those, you know, pieces of advice to heart. Yeah, you know, so I wasn't able to accumulate a team, you know, to gather a team around me. Uh, even uh, um, after all those years um, of doing those studies, it was just, you know, too far ahead of its time. You know, people yeah. weren't, you know, they really couldn't quite, you know, grasp what we were doing um, out there or out here. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so I you know, found out mostly, you know, what I was interested in, you know, finding out. Uh, I wasn't able to, you know, gain colleagues to start working more psychotherapeutically or spiritually or, mm. you know, creatively uh, with these drugs. It was becoming increasingly restraining or constraining to just use a psychopharmacology model, you know, which was incredibly important to break open the field, you know, but after that I was interested in, you know, more kind of, uh, you know, humanistic uh, um, approaches or applications. Uh, yeah, you know, so I wrapped my studies up in September 95. Um, and uh, I moved to Canada, actually. You know, sounds like a cliche, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, but I did. Uh, 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 so at the time, uh, um, I was married to a Canadian woman and, uh 
you know, she was getting homesick and uh, I had, you know, kind of had you know, my fill of, you know, giving IV DMT. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we packed up and moved to Canada, uh, near Victoria, up in British Columbia. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, started doing psychiatry, uh, you know, community mental health psychiatry, you know, for the next, you know, 13 years, either up in Washington State mm-hmm. um, or in Taos or in Gallup, where I am now. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Can I ask you some about your psilocybin studies? Because I've what I've seen from your work, which you know you've shared with me, um, are the scientific papers uh, using DMT specifically. Um, what What did you do with psilocybin? Yeah, um, we studied it. Uh, we included um, well. Well, the small grant is you know called a small grant, uh, we, you know, which we got from NIDA, which was you know the first NIH you know funding, you know for the studies, you know was for DMT itself. And after we got the DMT study off the ground and we're generating data, I um, applied for an R01, uh, you know, which are the most uh, you know common, you know kind of um, investigator and um, initiated grants, um, and you know that was to study. Um, you know, some more, you know, questions regarding DMT and also to begin some psilocybin work. Um, and I was interested in, you know, psilocybin for a couple of reasons. You know, one was the straightforward psychopharmacological characteristics um, of psilocybin. Um, I was interested in, you know, characterizing its effects using the same tools that we use, you know, to characterize the effects of DMT, uh, you know, neuroendocrine battery, uh, you know, subjective experience using our new questionnaire, uh, a number of autonomic variables. Um, yeah, but ultimately, I believe that, you know, psilocybin would be a more useful psychotherapeutic, uh, you know, tool than DMT. Um, you have to either smoke or inject, you know, DMT, and the effects are quite short-lived. Um, and with, you know, psilocybin, you have a... Um, a much longer, uh, you know, window of opportunity to interact, uh, you know, with the person. You know, so we got funding you know, to study psilocybin. Um, we got an import, uh, you know, permit from the DEA, Schedule One import permit. So we, uh, you know, brought the drug in from Switzerland. Um, it, it was actually, uh, you know, Sandos, you know, psilocybin. Sandos, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. It, it, yeah, it was still pure. You know, it was over ninety-five percent pure. Yeah, uh, you know, so we brought in you know some of the old volunteers you know from the DMT study, um, and we started you know some dose you know finding work. You know, what's mm-hmm. a low dose? What's a medium dose? What's a high dose? And what's too much? Mm-hmm. You know, that's you know kind of what we did you know with the DMT study. We uh, you know we did some dose uh, you know finding work mm-hmm. and. You know, once we could define what a medium, low, and high dose um, of uh, either DMT or psilocybin um, would be, you know, then you know we could uh, um, start you know the full uh, you know, dose response study, uh, you know, double blind, uh, you know, drawing uh, you know, samples you know, for hormone analysis. So, so we just began. Uh, the dose finding work for psilocybin uh, by the time I left. And it's interesting. um, We gave extremely high doses of psilocybin, especially, you know, compared to what's being given now. You know, what a, you know, what they're calling, you know, within the research 
you know, community uh, on a high dose of psilocybin is usually around you know zero point uh, you know, four or five milligrams uh, you know, per kilogram. Mm-hmm. You know, so in our group, um, we uh, you know found that that was just the threshold uh, you know dose you know for psychedelic effects to begin. Smaller doses than that were non psychedelic. You could still, you know, feel them. They were stimulatory or euphoric or anxiety-provoking or, you know, whatnot. You know, but, um, you know, the uh, you know, threshold for, oh, yeah, I'm now uh, you know, tripping on, you know, this dose. You know, that was what is, you know, nowadays uh, you know, considered a high dose. You know, so we gave a, a number of, of, of volunteers, you know, zero 0.7 uh, mm. milligrams mm-hmm. um, per kilogram. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all said, you know, we could do more. Wow. Uh, and we gave a couple people, you know, 1.1 milligrams per kilogram, which yeah. was too much. Um, you know, they're hyperthermic and, you know, uh, you know confused. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so if you know, we were going you know, to do the full, you know, dose response study, um, our high dose um, would have ended up, uh, you know, being 0.9, um, you know, with, and our small dose or our, you know, medium, you know, threshold dose, you know, would have been what's you know, now considered a high dose. But, uh, you know, speaking of that, you know, psilocybin work, um, so I, um, you know, provided um, a copy of that grant, uh, um, to the Hopkins group in, uh, you know, the 1990s, mm-hmm. you know, so they, uh, you know, based their study and their informed consent and their FDA applications, um, and all that, you know, based on material that I provided them, mm-hmm. um, you know, from our, um, original UNM psilocybin work. Oh, how interesting. So there, you know, one of the biggest uh, studies that came out in 2015, I believe, was the end of life work that they did with psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, are you talking about that one specifically? Or I'm sure maybe there's more that happened between the 1990s until the 2000s, maybe mid 2000s. Yeah. Well, this gets a little bit, you know, controversial. Um you know, so I ended my studies in uh, September '95. Moved up to Canada, and um, uh, either '95 or the next year, I met up with a uh, you know, fellow whose name is uh, Robert Jesse. Um, he used to work for Oracle, um, you know, software guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of at you know the ground uh, you know level at Oracle. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, you know, he was quite you know keen on inducing mystical experiences with uh, you know with psychedelics, and uh, w- w- um, so when I you know was beginning at UNM, uh, I was interviewing um, with one of the uh, you know grand old men, uh, with with one of the uh, you know grand old. I am men of uh, American psychopharmacology. Uh, I'm a fellow named Dr. Uhlenhut. Mm. Um, and Uhlenhut used to be at Hopkins and was uh, you know, coming out to UNM, you know, to kind of you know wind his career down. Um, his wife wanted to live in uh, you know fresher air than Baltimore, you know. So we were talking, um, 
you know, there were only a couple of us at the time doing research at UNM. There was me and a you know, fellow named uh, you know, John Lasansky. Uh, and you know, so Ulintude asked me, you know, what you know my long, you know, what my long-term interests you know were, um, and I said, oh, I really want to study psychedelic drugs uh, if I can at, at uh, you know some point. And he said to me, oh, well, you know, I was on the site visit uh, that looked at the renewal request from the University of Maryland, you know, back in the early 70s. Um, you know, that was a hotbed of, you know, psychedelic research. Uh, you know, Bill Richards was there. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Bill is, you know, the lead, uh, you know, psychotherapist yeah. at Hopkins. Yeah. Um, and I said, oh, that's really cool. I, you know, Stan Groff's my hero and all that. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, they got religion. And we didn't renew their funding. And I said, what do you mean they got religion? And he said, they decided that the mystical experience was a panacea, and they no longer were interested in understanding the mechanisms of action. It was now only a question of applying it to everything under the sun because it was a panacea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they didn't, uh, you, know, so um, you know, so their renewal application was not funded. Hmm. And I, you know, kept his words in mind while I was designing my studies, like, uh, you know, keep it really nuts and bolts, psychopharmacology. Yeah. Uh, and I got advice, uh, you know, from a number of other mentors back then, you know, saying, you know, stay out of psychotherapy as well. Uh, just describe what the drugs are doing. And then you can start looking at the mechanisms of action and you can let other people do the uh, you know, psychotherapy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so when, you know, Bob, uh, you know, Jesse approached me and said, would you like to do a mystical study uh, or a mystical experience study? I thought to myself, I don't want to uh, contribute you know, to perpetuating a myth, mm. uh, a you know, religious, yeah, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, movement, absolutely. And uh, well, uh, you know, plus I was also, you know, kind of burned out. I had been uh, you know giving a lot of drugs for a number of years, and you know, wanted to, uh, you know to take a break. You know, so I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few years later, um, I hear from him, and he said, "Oh, I've you know found a group that might be interested in my idea to mystical experiences and you know psychedelics." And I said, "Who?" And he, and he said, "Hopkins." And I said, "Oh, you know Roland Griffiths um, is there. It's a you know top flight behavioral uh, you know pharmacology unit." And I thought to myself, "You know, it's a you know rigorous group." And, you know, they'll just, you know, do, you know, rigorous, you know, science. You know, they won't get religion. You know, so Bob, you know, Jesse wondered if I would provide, you know, all of that, you know, psilocybin, you know, groundwork, which we had worked out. And I agreed to. You know, so the first, you know, study, which, you know, came out of Hopkins, it was, uh, you know, psilocybin occasions mystical-like experiences. And it was, you know, funded by the Council on Spiritual Practices. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, damn. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is, yeah, this is, you know, just what Dr. Ullenhut, you know, recommended against. Yeah. And I've contributed to them being able to get the study off the ground. 
And in a way, I feel a bit remorseful that I was, you know, quite so free with providing all of that, you know, hard gained information about, you know, how to get, um, f- you know, funding and approval to give human psilocybin. Sure. You know, because uh, of, you know, the whole, um, you know, mystical experience school, I think is, um, you know, problematic. Uh, and in a way, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wrote this new book is to kind of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, pull in the field a bit, uh, you know, more. Um, I am quite, you know, critical of the mystical experience model, uh, you know, both in interviews and um, in lectures and in my writing, uh, you know, because I think it smacks of religion. Um, and uh, there's a lot of other ways to talk about how psychedelics work and what they're good for and what they're not good for using completely secular language. You don't, you, um, you don't you know, really need to start to co-opt uh, you know, theological uh, you know, notions or, um, or concepts yeah. you know, within a you know, biomedical model anyway. Yeah, and this is an extremely important uh, topic to talk about because a lot of people do have these mystical experiences and they come back and start preaching, you know, or or they they they're under in you know that they're tripping, and in that space you're wide open. So that's where you know to me set and setting is so huge, and the guide and the people that you are with is so important because you're so vulnerable wide open, vulnerable, suggestible. Um, and so to me, it's uh, it's a huge, huge responsibility for the people who are holding the, these ceremonies for, in, for individuals or groups. Um, and, you know, to make sure that that is also a part of, hey, don't preach. This is, this is for you. This is your own path. Um, and, you know, it's anyways, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think it's also uh, reflected in the choice um, of music, which uh, is mm-hmm. played. Um, I was uh, being interviewed by um, a fellow on the West Coast last week, and he said, you know, I took, you know, 500 you know, micrograms of LSD and to the supervision of, you know, so-and-so back in California, and he just played Beethoven all day. And I spent my whole trip you know, marveling at Beethoven's, you know, genius, but that's not what I wanted. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so he, you know, supervises, you know, people's experiences himself underground. And, you know, he just skips the music altogether. He just figures, let people have their own trip. And if you're a skilled facilitator or guide or, uh, you know, sitter, you're there with the person and you help them negotiate whatever it is that they're negotiating. If they're doing you know, fine with their eyes closed, just leave them alone. Uh, if they stick out a hand and want help, hold their hand. If they want to talk, talk. If they're talking uh, you know, too much, I, I, I you know, tell them to be quiet and you know, close your eyes and lay down again and you know, I'll get back to you in a few minutes if need be. Um, you know, so the, you know, uh, you know, there's all, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's all kinds of accoutrements, uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, the setting, mm-hmm. uh, which are quite influential when you're suggestible and through the influence of a suggestibility enhancing, uh, you know, drug, you know, like the psychedelics, you know, there's, um, um, 
the yeah well uh, you you need to look at the uh, you know choice of music you know what it uh, you know says about the uh, you know theoretical you know framework of okay. the uh, you know person you know, sitting for you yeah. uh, if you're expecting a mystical experience or you're hoping you know for one the uh, you know, playlist will be you know geared you know uh, you know to do that. Um, if you have other ideas in mind for what a trip is supposed to be like, you'll you'll choose other uh, you know music. Uh, you know, for our studies using DMT, you know, we didn't uh, use any music. You know, for the psilocybin work, we were just uh, you know kind of uh, you know you know feeling our way through the best approach. Um, you know, before we stopped, we were combining you know silence and Music and it would be you know kind of PRN if yes if you know somebody wanted to listen to music you know they could listen to their own music that they brought and you know they could listen you know to music you know that you know was in well no it was only their music you know they only brought their music you know but we did you know also I you know build in you know to the day or well yeah um. We built into the schedule, uh, you know, periods of silence as well, mm-hmm. like a half hour here or an hour there, mm-hmm. like a half hour here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think there needs to be some flexibility. You don't yeah. want to impose your trip on somebody else's trip. Uh, 100%. Y- y- but that requires training, uh, your sensitivity, yeah. your familiarity, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the space, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, those are high... Yeah, there's a you know that's a high uh, you know bar you know to attain to. Yeah, absolutely, and I love that you um, from what you, what it sounds like creating that um, environment of allowance of hey, you bring in your own music, you know, to what is in harmony with you instead of what my experiences are. I'm bringing what I have, kind of you know, commanding it on you while you're going through your journey, and so allowing the individual who's going through it go through it the way they want to. Um, and I think the role of silence. I love that you bring that up. That is so big. You know, instead of constantly being stimulated by the by this outworld, you know, outward world, um, instead, you know, kind of taking the distractions away so you can hear the signal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a number of years ago, I spent, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, some time um, with one of these ayahuasca using uh, 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 churches, you know, which mm-hmm. originate in Brazil. You know, there's a group up in Santa Fe, which is mm-hmm. called the UDV, mm-hmm. and you know, we would drink ayahuasca, and mm-hmm. you know, there'd be. Um, uh, you know, there'd be music, uh, you know, there'd be, you know, some preaching, you know, some questions and answers, you know, but also, you know, there would be, you know, prolonged, you know, periods of silence. And those were very powerful, you know, because, you know, the intervening speaking or, uh, uh, you know, singing uh, or the music would reverberate. Uh, you know, silently, but you know, quite profoundly, quite powerfully in your mind. Um, uh, you know, during you know those periods of silence. 
Yeah, yeah, how interesting. And, you know, just thinking about some of the churches that are also popping up uh, using psilocybin and ayahuasca as their sacrament, you know, um, it's very interesting to me that, you know, a lot of people, and I, I really go back to people are suffering and they're trying to get out of the suffering. And this is what is being shown to be a path out. Um, what do you think about that? Well, you know, uh, yeah, set in setting. Yeah. Uh, you know, do your homework. Uh, do your homework. You check these guys the out. The guide, the guide, yeah. know the guide. Yeah. Yeah, you have to know the guide. You should do some online research. You know, are they abused of, you know, sexual or, yeah. uh, you know, are you know, they um, accused of, you know, sexual abuse? Right. Uh, you know, financial right? That's abuse. huge. That's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, where do they get their drugs? Uh, yeah. Yeah, all, all that. Yeah, yeah, and sit with them, you know, to see if you're in harmony with them, even if they check out, like, do they check out energetically with you? Right. Um, and, you know, one of the last questions I have for you is about group work. Um, how do you see group work in all of this? Because, you know, you said part of the UVD that, you know, obviously that seems like it's a group session. Um, how do how do people's energies as they're, you know, in these expanded states affect each other? yeah. Um, well, it could be good. It could be bad. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, things are magnified. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're you know, sitting next to you know, somebody who's screaming and vomiting and peeing on themselves and uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't really want to be around that kind of person uh, or, right. you know, that kind of person having you know, that kind of experience. Uh, you know, you could say, oh, you can empathize with their pain and whatnot. But I mean, it's an imposition, if you ask okay. me. I would rather not have to you know, suffer through you know, somebody else's uh, you know, suffering. I've got enough of my own, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, uh, it's like you know, meditation in a group. It can be more powerful, more focused. Uh, I think a lot depends on the leader. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, how egalitarian are they? You know, mm -hmm. how um, authoritarian are they? You know, how skillful are they in uh, you know, managing, you know, the energy of the group? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, oh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's an amplification of an already amplified state. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's easier if you know the people beforehand, if you're friends, mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's say, or you're, you know, doing stuff as a group, you know, before you trip. You know, you know, like the UDV, uh, you know, for example, you know, they spend a lot of time together, uh, uh, you know, sure. like, uh, you know, doing stuff, you know, like, um, you, you know, they drink ayahuasca a couple, three times a month, you know, but they spend a lot of time together. Otherwise, you know, the kids, mm -hmm. you know, the teens, the adults, you know, dinners, uh, mm -hmm. parties, picnics, lunches, stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, uh, you know, so you get to know each other. Um, mm -hmm. And it isn't like the first, uh, you know, time you get together is, uh, you know, tripping your brains out. Um, so uh, I think right, you right. ought to, uh, you know, safeguard, uh, you know, yeah. safety first. Um, and safety first, uh, yep. yeah, you know, even if you were interested in perhaps, you know, you know, joining um, a psychedelic using group, uh, you, you know, could even ask, you know, to just kind of observe, you know, sober first mm -hmm. and you know, see how it goes and if it mm -hmm. is you know something that you feel uh you know comfortable you know, participating in uh in an altered state later and mm -hmm. if you do agree to participate in an altered state later mm -hmm. you can insist on a very small uh 
you know, dose of whatever, you know, right. to begin with. Right, and right, you know, then right. if it's cool, you can, you know, come back the next time yeah. for a slightly higher dose. You know, so totally. On, so no, I love that that you bring that up. Even, you know, starting with a little bit of microdosing, if you're not sure about it. And, you know, with psilocybin, for example, it's um, much better than going in like the high, like full on hero's dose is, you know, you don't know how you're going to react or be in that state so well yeah especially with a group of strangers i mean yeah oh totally yeah it's 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 uh, yeah i think that's kind of high risk yeah definitely well thank you so much rick thank you for being here it was a pleasure uh speaking with you and learning from you and it always has been you know we've known each other for a few years now and it's been wonderful um having this um you know wonderful relationship and friendship i really appreciate you well thanks yeah yeah well same here yeah, thank you so much. Have a wonderful time on the rest of your the podcasts that you have. I know you're uh, talking about your book everywhere, which uh, people need to look into. Please look into the Psychedelic Handbook uh, written by Rick Strassman. Go to his website and get the book um, and you'll get a, a handwritten note on there as an um, signature. So I, I did that and I really appreciate it. Yeah, and you can get it on Amazon as well. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank okay, you so good. much. Okay, thanks, Lita. Bye. Bye. One, two.